Welcome to our fourth and final week of our series, Bear Fruit. Thank you for being a part of today's experience. If you're listening by podcast, watching at Alabaster Living TV, or wherever you may find this message today, I'm glad that you're part of this content. We're concluding this series, Bear Fruit, where we're learning what it is to live out the characteristics of Jesus. The Bible gives us what it calls the fruits of the Spirit. Basically, it's the evidence of the life change that we've experienced because of Jesus, that because he's changed our life, we live differently. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that you would know who we are because of our fruit. Look at it with me in Matthew 7, verse 16. It's been our foundational verse all month long. And it says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way that they act. You can identify them by their fruit. In other words, where the Bible says that we're to be in this world, but not of the world. You and I are what the Bible calls a city on a hill, a light in the midst of the darkness. That everyone around us would know that we belong to Jesus, we've been changed by Jesus, we live differently than the world, all because of the fruit that is growing and living in our lives. That you and I become the light in a dark world, showing the world the difference that Jesus makes. I'll give you a little refresher on the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and here's what it says. Beginning with verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love this statement. There is no law against these things. So all month we've been unpacking these fruits of the Spirit. In week one, our message was titled Fruit Ninja. We talked about how the world and how the enemy would throw all different kinds of fruits to try to distract us from the true fruit of the Spirit. That what God wants to grow inside of us, there's some counterfeit fruit. And we talked about being fruit ninjas to try to get the right fruit. We learned about being connected to the source, which is God. We learned about being pruned. We learned about uh, how, we, uh, how we are the branches and that we're the conduit of where the fruit grows and how people would pick that from our lives. In week two, we talked about picking fruit and how to pick the right fruit. We learned that there's a proper way and process in order to pick fruit fruit. Last week we talked about fruit awareness and we began the fruits of the Spirit. There's nine fruits of the Spirit. We covered four of those last week. Today we're going to pick up with the other five fruits of the Spirit, the last five fruits of the Spirit. And really this is about the application. Now we talked about in the first two weeks navigating this general idea of the fruits of the Spirit. We sort of laid the foundation and then last week we began diving into the specific fruits and how to live it out. Why does this matter and why is this important? It's because the world is looking for something that is real. The world is looking for something that is absolute. Our culture is so subjective to where there is no absolute. You do you and I'll do me and then we'll all agree to disagree and then we'll find a way to live life according to our own desires and our own purposes. But here's what the Bible says. There is an absolute. There is a way. The Bible says it's Jesus. He's the truth and he's the life. There is no way to the Father except through him. And so for people to know that, the world is relying on the fruit that you and I bear in our life. And so I'm really challenging us 
to understand, to know, and to be able to apply these fruits of the Spirit to our lives so that we can live it out in this darkened world. So today's message is really to teach us what the fruits of the Spirit are, encourage us to be able to live those out, and embrace these truths so that we can show the world that Jesus is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. So let's pray over the Word that God will be able to speak to us today. Father, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this Word. Thank you for all of us gathered together. God, to receive this today. I pray you challenge us in the way that we live so that we would display the fruits of the Spirit in our lives so that people would know that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in part two today of uh, recognizing the fruits of the Spirit, how do we understand this with fruit awareness? I want to give you the first fruit we're going to talk about today, and it's the fruit of kindness. The fruit of kindness. Write that down. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 20, If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. The fruit of kindness is a difficult fruit of the Spirit. Because we think of kindness very differently than what the Bible says. Most of us would be kind to someone who is kind. We would repay someone's kindness, maybe with kindness of our own. But when the Bible paints a picture of the definition of what kindness is and how to display kindness in our life, it's very uncomfortable. It's very hard to do. It's very different. It's the opposite of what we would typically think we would deliver to someone because the Bible says if your enemies are hungry, you feed them. We're really good at feeding people who we love, maybe, that are hungry. We invite people that we enjoy over for dinner. We go out to eat with those that we enjoy their company, people that we select to be with. But not many of us are preparing meals for people that are mean to us or rude to us or take advantage of us or treat us poorly. But the Bible says you feed your enemies if they're hungry. You give them something to drink if they're thirsty. The Bible is teaching us that true kindness extends beyond the walls or the borders of my feelings or the way someone would treat me. True kindness is treating someone in the way that God would treat them even though they do not treat you well. I think about this through the lens of kids. You know, uh, when you hear kids playing together, kids playing is supposed to be a good time. But most of the time, it turns into an argument session. It turns into a fight. It turns into this big problem where you're trying to navigate what happened, who did this and who did that. And you've got one kid crying saying, he punched me or he kicked me or he hit me. And then when you talk to the kid who punched or kicked or hit, you go, why did you do that? And he usually will say, well, he did it first. He kicked me first. And then the fight ensues over who kicked who first. You see, we usually return what is given to us. Our natural nature says, well, I will give to you what you have given to me. But God is teaching us that true kindness goes beyond the action that has been given against me. As a matter of fact, I think about it this way. Kindness is actually the plate on which love is served. Kindness is the plate in which love is served. We talked about love last week. Love being the very foundation in which all of the fruits of the Spirit are grown. Because God loved us, 
we love. Because we have experienced the only true love that can come from God, then we try to express that in everything we do. It flows to the fruits of the Spirit that are in our life. So kindness is actually displaying that love. It's serving it so that others can see it. Kindness is a condition of the heart that compels you to serve others. You see, kindness comes from a place of life change through Jesus. That's the only way that you and I can serve this kind of kindness. Kindness is the daily demonstration of love. When you're kind to other people, it's a daily demonstration of the love that you've received from God. It literally is love served on a silver platter. The Bible shows lots of places about kindness. The Bible is full of a display of kindness. One of my favorite displays of kindness is in the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard this story of the Good Samaritan where an individual finds someone who is injured and everyone has overlooked. But this Good Samaritan stops and takes his time and he bandages the wounds of this person. He takes this person and puts him up in a hotel and pays for it and tells the innkeeper, tells the, the hotel manager, hey, if the bill exceeds what I've paid you today, just put it on my tab. And when I return, I will pay you for it. Kindness was extended to someone who could not repay the person. Kindness was extended to do when nothing could be done for. Kindness was giving when potentially nothing would be given in return. I'm challenging us today that when we approach the world and when we approach our enemies, when we approach people that we don't agree with, when we approach people on the other side of the polling booth, when we approach people with different skin color, when we approach people from different cultures, different outlooks and different attitudes, are you still able to serve those people and be kind to them regardless of the kindness that has been shown to you? There are so many reasons to be kind. When I look through the Bible, I see so many reasons in which God gives us to be kind. We're kind because God has been kind. God has been kind to every single one of us. I remember that when Jesus was on the cross and people were throwing insults at him, when people had abused him physically, when people had abused him mentally, when people were gambling over his clothes, Jesus was kind when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You see, Jesus was showing kindness to his enemies, even when... They were abusing or taking advantage of him. At just the right time, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, he gave his son. God was extending his kindness to us. Kindness is an act of worship. See, some people won't be kind because we're all caught up in what other people have done to us and how other people have treated us. Because of our mistreatment and because of what has been given to us or against us, we think we're going to withhold the kindness as punishment to them. However, when you're able to extend kindness in the face of adversity, when you're able to uh, extend kindness in the face of someone mistreating you or abusing you, what you're doing is you're honoring God and honoring God is an act of worship. Kindness honors God. Kindness makes you happy. There's nothing that will fulfill you more than knowing you have been kind to somebody else. That even though 
maybe you were done wrong. And even though maybe that person at work doesn't treat you fairly, even though those people have an offense against you, look, when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, and you can take a deep breath and you have this peace of knowing that you have been good in the face of adversity. That you have been good in the face of mistreatment. That you have been good in the face of being taken advantage of or talked bad about or mistreated. Whatever the case is, there is something about the peace that comes from knowing that you've been kind. It makes you happy. It makes you attractive. Look, people want to be around a kind person. You'll find that kind people have more friends. At least they have more quality friends. There are some people maybe that aren't kind and they like to get together with other people who aren't kind and it becomes a very negative and toxic environment. But when you're kind, you become attractive. You attract people that enjoy kindness. You attract people that want to be around something positive. And when people go, what has happened to you? Why are you so kind when everyone else is so mean? Why are you saying good things on social media when everyone else is saying something bad? Why are you bringing Bringing everybody up when everyone else is tearing each other down. It's because of the kindness and the work that the Holy Spirit has done in my life. Kindness blesses other people and God blesses kindness. So I'm encouraging you today to display the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of Jesus through your kindness. How do we be kind? I'll give you three easy ways. These are extra. Write these down. I'm going to give you a lot of extras today. Some application for these fruits of the Spirit. How do I show kindness? Well, you need to see a problem. See the problems that are around you. See, when you recognize that there's problems all around you and that people are in need, it presents the opportunity in which to be kind. You have more reason to be kind when you notice that there are problems that are around you. And then you need to share their pain. When you see people hurting and you share their pain, when you go, man, I've been there, I've been through that, I know what that feels like, I've experienced that. When you share in the pain of the problems of other people, look, it will help you serve that person. It will help you to serve that person. So see the problem, share the pain, and serve the person. That's how you extend kindness out of your life. If you had to rate yourself today, in the kindness that you extend from your life, how would you rate yourself? If you had to say, am I being kind to my enemies? Am I feeding those that I dislike? Am I providing something to drink to those who are thirsty that may treat me poorly? What is your level of kindness in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Number two, it's goodness. A fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Now this is a very important fruit of the Spirit. Let me show it to you. The Bible says Romans 12 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Goodness this is another overused word, just like love that we overuse, we love everything. Well, good is another one of these overused words or terms that we don't really understand the full context 
of its meaning. We may say, have a good day, or that was a good burger, or I had a good time, or good morning. We use this word good, we attach it to a lot of things. However, in our context of our culture, the word good and the thought of being good is actually very subjective. We all have a different determination or definition of what it means to be good or if something is good. My wife and I, when it comes to food, we have a very different definition or determination of what it means to be good. My, my wife likes anything that is odd or weird. So, for example, uh, when you like to pick out candy, maybe you get some Skittles or some Starburst or, you know, some of the old classic favorites. But my wife is going to pick up something like licorice. She loves licorice. I mean, like just traditional licorice, the gross licorice that most of us would pass over. She likes licorice jelly beans. She likes licorice straws. I mean, it's the weird things. Halloween, where most people are picking up, you know, the fun Halloween candy, the Snickers, you know, the butter, all that kind of stuff. My wife is the first in line for the candy corn. Every year, bags of candy corn in jars in our house. She seeks it out at holiday time to get the candy corn. When we go eat, a special event for hers, if we have like Indian food or Ethiopian food, something with curry mixed in it. I don't even like the smell of curry. So if you were to ask me and you were to ask my wife about good food, we would both have a different definition. See, when we talk about being good in the context of our life, most of us would define ourselves as being good. I'm a good person. I have a good outlook. I've lived a good life. Look, I have never been to a funeral. I've conducted a lot of funerals. I have participated in a lot of funerals. I have sat through a lot of funerals, and I've never been to one in all of my years where I heard somebody say they didn't make it to heaven. I've not been to one funeral where one person it wasn't participated or portrayed as somebody that made it to heaven because we have this theory or thought about what it means to be good. But as a matter of fact, Jesus teaches us some, something completely countercultural about being good. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said that only God is good. Jesus questioned someone that called him good. He said, why do you call me good? The only one that is truly good is God. Now, many people will argue that, that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God, that he really wasn't sinless because he himself said, I'm not good, only God is good, even though he was God. But here's what Jesus was saying. Good is not something that I can do in myself. Good is not something I am because I gave myself that label. Good is not something that I can say about myself in a subjective thought based on my own opinion or my own basis of truth and absolute. No, Jesus said the only thing that is good comes from God. And true goodness is the quality and nature and the characteristics of God himself. Good is having the quality qualities required for a particular role. In other words, if we are going to be good, if goodness is in our life, it is something that happens internally, that God changes in us. It is a continual pursuit to be more like God. Because the only thing that is truly good, that has an absolute goodness, is the quality and the nature 
of God. So that literally means in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 that we don't transform of the world, that we don't copy this, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We let God come in and change the way we think. Then we will know what is good. When God changes us, begins to uh, rearrange our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, the way we see the world, the way we experience the world, when God begins to rewire our life from our sin nature to our spiritual self, then we can truly become to understand what is good. So how do I be good? You must become more like Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And if we really want to learn the quality of the goodness of God, to be like Him and to receive what He gives us, to change us from the inside out, we must do what Jesus has taught us to do. We become a disciple. We learn. We do. We follow. We trust. We obey. That's what it means to have the goodness of God. I want to remind you right in the middle of these that the Bible says the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in our life. The very presence of God living personally in us is what enables us to produce this fruit in our life. So the kindness that we need, it is the Holy Spirit God that makes me kind. Goodness becoming more like the quality of God, it becomes that in my life because the Holy Spirit begins to produce it. So we have to be more like Jesus, doing what Jesus tells us to do in order to have goodness living and breathing and producing in our life. Number three is faithfulness. Wow, this is an incredibly important fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross disregarding its shame. Faithfulness is an incredibly important uh, characteristic, a very important fruit of the Spirit because we live in a culture where faithfulness has been forgotten. Faithfulness is like a fossil. It's long gone, maybe dug up of a time from long ago. We don't have faithful fathers. We don't have faithful mothers. We don't have faithful husbands. We don't have faithful wives. We're not faithful to our jobs. We're not faithful to our responsibilities. We're not faithful to God. We're not faithful to His Word. We're not faithful to the truth. Faithfulness is missing in our culture. And for you and I to stand out and to stand up and to illustrate, to live out and display the fruits of the Spirit, we have to learn to be faithful just like Jesus was faithful. Let us run with endurance. Let us go the extra mile. Let's make it to the end. Let's make it without a failure. Let's make it without a crack in our foundation where our faithfulness is in question, where our morality fails us, where our integrity or our character fails us, let's be faithful to the things of God. Run with endurance. Do this by keeping your eyes on Jesus. What did we talk about in the goodness? We do the things that God has called us to do, that He's instructed us. He begins to develop goodness in our life. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will help us to be faithful. Why? Because the joy that awaits Him, this is why. Because He endured the cross. 
Jesus endured. He was faithful to what God had called him to do. He stood the test of time. He made it through the trials. He made it through the troubles. Jesus was faithful. He's calling us to be faithful people. Faithfulness is the power to persevere. Ultimately, being faithful is the power to persevere. Last year, May, at the end of May in 2021, I brought a message called, uh, Until the Fat Lady Sings. In other words, it's not over until the fat lady sings. Now that's an old saying. Look, don't get mad at me. It's just an old saying. In other words, it just means it's not over until it's over. The, the, the message talked about soldiers. The message talked about farmers. And the message talked about athletes. And how all three of these different groups of people face some unique temptation. They face some unique situations that would tempt them to quit, that would test their faithfulness, that would almost say, look, you've done good, you, you've, you've, you've tried really hard, so now just rest, just give up, it's not going your way, you gave it your all, so don't worry about it, just leave it all behind you and just forget about it. But the Bible teaches us in that, don't be distracted so that you're not disqualified or discouraged. In other words, you can get distracted and that'll keep you from being faithful. And when you get distracted, sometimes it'll cause you to be disqualified because you do things that'll keep you from finishing the race. And then you will get discouraged because you have already failed, so it would discourage you and the temptation is to give up. But I want you to look at it one more time with me. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. That was good enough to read one more time because I want to ask you this question today. As Jesus was chasing the joy of what was ahead of him, I want to ask you this question. Is what's ahead of you worth running the race faithfully? Do you think about eternity? Do you think about what's on the other side of today? Do you think about what's on the other side of the here and now? That every day that you live your life, and do you display the fruits of the Spirit living a faithful life so that other people can watch the life you live as a reflection of Jesus? There is great joy on the other side of your trial. There's great joy on the other side of your temptations. There's great joy on the other side of your problems. Just stay faithful. Stay faithful to God's word. Stay faithful to his truth. Stay faithful to his people. Stay faithful to his place, the church, and stay faithful to his purpose. And that is living out the fruits of the spirit to be a light in a dark world. I want to give you these little extra things. Just how do you, how do you stay faithful? Some key areas in which it's important or imperative that you stay faithful. And I would say the first is your beliefs. Stay faithful to your beliefs. And you need to know that your beliefs are backed by the Bible, by God's Word, by the truth in which He said. Not what you dreamed up, not what culture has served you, but you stay faithful to your beliefs, the very concrete foundation of your faith through God's Word. Stay faithful in His Word, in your behavior. Stay faithful in your behavior. Come on. The way you live every day, it matters. 
Are the fruits of the Spirit evident in your life? I said, hey, if you had to rate yourself just in kindness, how would you rate yourself? How well are you doing? I would challenge us in every one of these areas. Find your place where you're struggling and ask God to help you increase it in the way that you act. That's the way you talk. That's the way that you act. It's the things that you do, the behaviors of your life. Does it reflect faithfulness to God in the bad times? Are you faithful in the bad times? Look, nobody likes a bad time. Nobody likes a difficult season. Nobody likes to struggle in stress. Nobody likes discouragement. Nobody likes detours that come and try to keep you from where you want to go. None of us enjoy that, but we are made better because of it. Not one of us have experienced a difficult season where we didn't come out better. No matter what season you're in, the highs, the lows, the goods, the bad, the time to cry, or the time to celebrate, you need to be faithful in every season of your life. If you can be faithful in the bad, then you can be faithful in the good. If you can be faithful when it's difficult, you can be faithful when it's easy. If you can be faithful in the highs, you can be faithful in the lows. And then be faithful in the blessings. Be faithful in the blessings. Because when God blesses you, it's often a time that we check out so we got it. We don't need it. Be faithful in the times of blessing. And the number four is gentleness. The Bible says pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride leads to disgrace, but humility comes wisdom. Notice the word humility. Isaiah 55, 8, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. What is goodness or gentleness? It's actually humility. Gentleness is humility in our life. It's the mark of humility. You see, humility minimizes me and it maximizes you. It's less of me, and it's more of him. See, in order to be gentle, we have to be humble. Gentleness is the mark of humility. It's when I lower myself, and I minimize me, and I maximize you. Our culture would say everything about me. You get yours, you climb the ladder, no matter how many people you have to climb over or step on top, you get there, and you get your spot, and you do for you, and you make you happy, and you look out for you first. But the humility that comes through gentleness is the exact opposite. Did you know that goats will actually climb mountains? It's incredible. If you've ever seen a goat on the side of a mountain, a cliff, they will actually climb cliffs in order to get where they need to go. It's really amazing. Well, there's a story of two goats on a cliffside on a very narrow path where only one can cross at a time. And two goats are trying to go opposite directions and they face each other. And they are both intent on getting where they need to go. So the story says that these two goats begin to fight. And they're fighting one another on the very edge of this cliff. It's very dangerous. And one goat, you can tell in particular, is going to fight to the death. He is not backing down. But the other goat, something amazing happens. He lays down on his stomach and allows the other goat to step on his back to get where he needs to go. Now, many of us would go, man, that guy gave up. He, he quit too soon. He showed a sign of weakness. He, he showed a sign of, of surrender. But here's what he did. He actually showed a sign of gentleness and humility. Because you know what happened? Because he lowered himself, they both walked away, and they both got to where they needed to go. There are certain times in our life where it's not worth fighting over who's right and who's wrong. There are certain times in our life where it does not matter your political party over 
getting people to heaven or letting people see Jesus in your life. Sometimes we have to minimize ourselves in order to maximize other people. Gentleness is the humility of our life. How do you be humble? How do you be gentle? Just think of others. Begin to think of others more than you think of yourself. When your perspective changes, when the lens of your life looks different, when you see it the way God sees it, when you feel it the way God feels it or hears it, the way God hears it, look, it will change your life. You will live a gentle life of humility. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. Everything Jesus did, he did it with a servant's heart, a servant's attitude, and a servant's action. Jesus was always serving someone else. Why? Because the fruit of the spirit of gentleness and humility. And the last one we'll give, the last fruit of the spirit, is self-control. And self-control is what guards all the fruits of the spirit. Self-control gives us the ability to live this out. Notice the Bible in Proverbs 25 and 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now you may not understand that in the context of today, but in the time of this writing, a city was protected by its walls. A city would actually construct a physical wall to protect itself from people that would come in and try to attack or try to take advantage or try to take their lives. They did this as a sign and way of protection that they were okay. The Bible says self-control is your protection. It's your wall of protection so that you're going to be okay, so that you're going to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. Self-control prevents you from having craziness take place in your life. Self-control is what keeps you on track. It's the barrier. It's the guardrail that keeps you moving in the right direction and away from danger. Self-control is consistent character. Self-control is consistent character character. It keeps you doing what God has called you to do. The Holy Spirit produces self-control in my life. That's how you can say no when you need to say no. That's how you say yes when you need to say yes. That's how you get up every day and you make decisions to follow Jesus and to be more like Jesus because the Holy Spirit produces self-control so that you can be kind, so you can have patience and gentleness and faithfulness and all the things that God wants us to display in our life, all the things that he wants to produce. It comes through self-control. Here's five areas that you need self-control in your life. In your attitude, Come on, you, you can change a room simply by your attitude. Your attitude marks a lot. People may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. When you walk into a room, it changes everything, not just by what you say, but by the attitude that you portray. Your actions, come on, what you're doing physically, come on, how you're treating people, the actions of your life, the decisions that you're making, the way you're treating those people, it is an external display of the attitude that is internal. And then your attention. Be careful what gets your attention, what you give your attention to. You need self-control of the things that you put your time into, what you devote yourself to, what you see and what you bring in your life. Be careful, have self-control of what gets your attention. And then your assets. Come on, our money, our stuff, our resources, the way we treat it, the way we steward it, your time, your talent, your treasure. Make sure you've got some self-control in those areas. And then your appetite appetites of your life, the things that you're desiring, the things that you're chasing after. You have to be careful about what it is that you're chasing. Have self-control 
in your life. It's the key to living out and developing the fruits of the Spirit. The basis of this is love, and it's all held in place by self-control. And every one of these fruits of the Spirit, every one of the characteristics of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is what does the work. So don't feel like, man, this is, a, this is an overwhelming task. There's no way I can live up to it. There's no way I can do it. No. The Holy Spirit produces that in your life. I want to remind us as we close this series, Jesus says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way that they act. The world will identify your life and mine by the way that I act. And the way that we act, may it display the fruit of the Spirit. There's no greater time in our culture that this is needed more than right here and right now. And so I want to pray for us that we would be able to embrace and live out these fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you're watching today or you're listening and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit that produces this in us, we can't do it on our own. We're in a sinful nature. We've talked about this month. We, we have a sinful nature we have to subject that to the Lord and allow Him to put His spiritual nature in our life to change us and transform us. And so today, if you're not living that relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for you that today you could say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're watching today and you're already a believer and you're doing your best to follow after Jesus. And you may find one or two or several of these that you need some improvement, some area to grow, some area to stretch yourself and to get better. I want to pray for us today that God would help us to be able to live this out and bear fruit. So Jesus, thank you for my friends watching today. I pray for anybody that doesn't have a personal relationship with you. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. We know we've done wrong. We've missed it. We've lived life our own way. And Jesus, we need you. So we submit ourselves to you as our Lord and our Savior. And we receive your forgiveness and we make a decision today to begin living for you. And Father, I pray for all of us who are following you. Help us to bear fruit. May we live this out so that other people would know that we belong to you. That they can see you through us so that they would have a desire for you. Thank you for stretching us and equipping us in this series over these last few weeks. And may we go and live this out. In Jesus' name, amen.